You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. And today, uh, we're going to continue our series, Mindsets That Matter. Mindsets That Matter. And uh, we've We've been looking through several different mindsets that are shaped by uh, a recognition of who God is in our lives. And so I believe that mindsets are something that all of us have, all of us uh, see the world around us, see our relationships, see our own identity through the mindset that is most dominant in our life. Uh, One pastor said that we tend to travel in the direction of our strongest thoughts, and sometimes those thoughts are not always helpful or life-giving or even true, biblically true. And so uh, some mindsets are healthy, some mindsets are unhealthy, some mindsets lead to freedom, and some mindsets don't. And here's one thing I've let you know throughout this series is that while Jesus saves us from our sin and we're born again the day we give our life to Jesus, he doesn't automatically change all our mindsets. How many know the day you got saved was not the day that all of your thinking changed immediately? That's why we need to renew our minds with the truth of the word of God. And the goal is, one, that we get to know God more, get to know Jesus more, but also that we grow in freedom, grow in our God-given purpose. Everyone in here has a purpose. That's why I've given you this verse to start out. Colossians chapter three has been kind of our theme verse for this series. And here's what it says in verse two. Set your minds, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. This is specifically an instruction, as verse 1 tells us, to those who are in Christ, those that have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus today, you're called to raise your level of, of focus, your perspective, to think the way heaven thinks, to see through heaven's eyes, to see God's purpose for your life. The Message Bible says it this way, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what's going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Uh, If you're taking notes today, the message title, this is part three, and the message title is More Than Enough. More Than Enough. We've looked at several mindsets over the last couple weeks. The first was an uncommon mindset. We began with this idea that I believe is fundamental, foundational, that God is holy. We just sang that today. God is holy. What does it mean that he's holy? Well, it means not just that he's morally right, although he is, he's the standard. The world loses its bearings on what's right and wrong whenever it loses bearing on what's true and the person of Jesus is the truth, not just a a set of facts or information, but truth is a person. And he came 2,000 years ago to rescue us from what all of us had a problem with, which was sin. He came to rescue us from our sin and set us free and to bring us into a relationship with God himself. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way to God but by him. We know that. But here's what happens, church, that many times our worldview is shaped by what we see and feel. And when we recognize that God is holy, that word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. It means uncommon, set apart, unlike anything else. And so we looked at having an uncommon mindset, first recognizing that God is uncommon. We don't treat him as ordinary, but we we recognize and honor him for who he is, but also 
also that he's created us and set us apart to be uncommon as a people. Last week, we looked at uh, a victorious or prevailing mindset that because of who God is, that he's everywhere, he sees everything, he knows everything, God sees you, God knows you, and he's with you. And because God's with you, the end result can be and is, is, is promised to be through the dependence upon God is victory in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I gave you that a little bit of background. Today's uh, looking at this idea of more than enough, and I'll explain what that mindset is in a moment. But let me just ask you, what informs your view of life more? Is it what heaven has to say or what the world has to say? As a Christian, I believe, as a follower of Jesus, because there's a lot of people have different ideas of what it means to be a Christian. You know, I just signed up, I showed up to church, that means I'm a Christian. Or, uh, you know, my family was uh, Baptist, so I'm a Christian. My family was Lutheran, so I'm a Christian. We have a lot of different ways we define being a Christian. Uh, but here's what a Christian is, at its, as the Bible defines it. It's a follower of Jesus. Are, are you with me? So as a follower of Jesus, my worldview, my, the way I see the world around me, see God and see myself, and I told you the last two weeks, the two most important things you'll ever believe in life is what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. We start with God. Everything starts with God. And, and so uh, I want to take you through a story today. It's a little bit longer, but I want to read two things that happened back to back in Mark's gospel that are meant to teach us something about the nature of Jesus and the nature of God. Mark chapter six, beginning verse 34, it says that Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having, not having a shepherd. So God's heart is always compassion for the broken, for the hurting, for the lost. Let's never become so religiously minded as the church that we lose compassion for those that are broken. That's what it means to see with heaven's eyes, to see with the heart of Jesus. Uh, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and not looking at those in need, here's what they said. Uh, the day's far spent. Uh, Jesus, you're, you're preaching too long. Um, it's already a late hour. Send them away that they can go buy some food in the surrounding country and villages and buy bread for they have nothing to eat. And Jesus answered and he said, you give them something to eat. We've looked at this story twice this year because this was part of a word that God gave us for 2023, that this was a year of multiplication and God was gonna use the, what we bring to him in our life, our family, our calling, our gifts from God, that we would see that multiply to see great impact. But here's what he says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Do you know God doesn't ever call us to do something with what we don't have, but he does call us to do something with what we do have. <laughs> and, and here's what happens. We often have, we're more aware of what we're missing than what we have. We're more aware of what we're lacking than what we have. And I'm not just talking about resources. I mean, in, in our own life, there's often a keen awareness most of us have of what we're lacking, where we fall short, where we're not enough. And God comes along and takes what little we have. And here's what, he's, here's what they do. They actually bring him a little boy's lunch and they said, here, we've inventoried because Jesus says, go and see what you got. And they found out, they come back and they say, all we have, Jesus, is five and two fish. Five loaves, two fish. Uh, I think, this is my opinion, I think this was the disciples trying to convince Jesus to change his mind. 
When he said, you feed them all, they look at the size of the multitude and they go, we don't have what is needed. Why would Jesus say not to send them away? Well, he's about to do a miracle. We know the story. He multiplies the loaves and the fish. It's, 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 it's actually uh, this and another example like that are the only miracle story besides the resurrection of Jesus that's repeated in all four gospels. And there's something that this story teaches about the nature of God. In fact, we've been going through this series looking at names. We've been looking at the names of God because the names of God reveal the nature of God. Well, so do the miracles. And I am going to give you, I didn't forget to give you some names today, but, but I want you to see this. Watch what happens. He says, uh, we've only got five and two fish. And then he commanded them uh, and made them all sit down into groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in ranks, hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he also divided. Uh, what, what, what heaven blesses and breaks always multiplies when it's in the hands of Jesus. When our life is in the hands of Jesus, he can do so much more with our life than we could ever do with our own. The issue is whose hands our life is in. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. I should preach that. Uh, they took up 12 baskets. Listen to the miracle. They took up 12 baskets full of fragments and full of fish. I saw this happen. Uh, this was in 2000, I wanna say 2008. Uh, early in ministry, uh, we, we had, we, we, I was an outreach pastor uh, like Nick and Alex and and I, I went to invite as many kids as I could in our city to come to a free gift giveaway and it's not hard to get kids to come to church to, for a free gift and, and but our target was neighborhoods that we were doing outreach and 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 I and I, I told our church about it I said here's what we're going to do we're going to collect uh, presents toys that, that we're going to wrap and we're going to give them to these kids and we're going to share the gospel of Jesus with them and the problem was about I think it was the day before the event I talked to our church staff and they said what are you doing again and when I heard that I knew we were in trouble because if the staff doesn't know what we're doing Surely the church would know what we were doing. And uh, that night we had literally two busloads of kids, most of them from other nations, from, from, they were refugees from other nations that were war-torn regions, were being brought in, had never, they were busloads of kids that had never heard the gospel before. And they were from nations that had almost no Christian presence. And then we also distributed flyers to our city and, and as much as we could. And so, but then that day we're counting and we go, how many gifts do we have? One, two, we count. We had about, I think it's a biblical number, 120 presents. But I already know it's not gonna cut it because I got more than that coming on these buses. And, and so our staff starts panicking when they see the magnitude. In fact, we opened the doors and the room started filling up. And we're, we're, we're estimating at this point, by the time the service is about to start, we've counted over 120 presents and we have at least 700 kids in the room. Do the math. <laughs> Got to share Jesus that night in multiple languages. In fact, we had a, a two translators that worked with me. It was the weirdest sermon I ever preached because I had two translators, one after another. I literally had to have somebody in the front row point at me, then point at them when to say something. I actually should have had a fourth translator, but that person found out what we were doing and refused to cooperate because they didn't love Jesus like we did. Um, anyway, and, uh, and so, so, so we're, we're, we're sitting there, we're, we're doing this, and, and then at the end of it, all these people respond and give their life to Jesus, and it was amazing, and then we start handing out presents, and I am sweating bullets. And this is a true story. My pastor in Phoenix still tells the story to this day. Every child that night got a toy. Just started handing out of the pile 
handing out of the pile, and we literally had, I love this story because there were 12 bag, baskets left over. We literally had almost a dozen bags left over of toys after every child got a toy. Jesus can multiply the loaves and fish. You say, well, I don't, we've told that story, and people go, why would Jesus multiply toys? Because he loves kids too. He loves people hearing about Jesus. He loves people who are far from God, coming close to God. And, and uh, I have new sympathy after that experience for the disciples. When those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, some estimate that there was as many as 20,000, including women and children, to just counted here the 5,000 men. Uh, and immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. This is the next story, verse 45. Immediately afterward, he made his disciples get into a boat to go after, uh, to, to cross over to the other side, to Bethsaida, when he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea, would have passed by them. This is probably the other well-known miracle of Jesus, walking on water. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. And here's what I wanted us to catch. I had to read both stories for you to see what verse 52 says. They marveled when Jesus walked on water and got into the boat, and they had been afraid. Here's why they marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. I used to read this verse and go, what in the world did the loaves have to do with the waters? <laughs> What, is it, what does one story have to do with the other story? Here's what this first miracle was letting them know. If Jesus is with you, that's enough. If Jesus is with you, he had compassion on those that were like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on you and on me. He has compassion on us. And he doesn't leave us alone in our storm. In fact, he gives the disciples, right after this, he gives them instructions, cross over, and along the journey, they encountered a storm that was unexpected. It was enough to make these guys who were experienced fishermen be terrified. So based on their own natural understanding, wisdom, and experience, they knew they were in danger. And yet Jesus says, why were you guys afraid? Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here. And, and Mark's gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records this, that the reason they didn't have peace in the storm is because they didn't understand the last miracle. What do these have to do with each other? Do you know that every act of God in your life, every word of God in your life, every promise of God, every name that God reveals through his word tells us something about his nature, who he is. I'm gonna give you three today, three names. In fact, my wife last week told me you should have put them on the screen because nobody knew how to write down those Hebrew names. So I learned my lesson from last week. Okay, if we can put these up. There's three names I'm gonna look at today and we're gonna focus these. And I've got four simple points. We're not gonna take a ton of time on them, but I want you to catch these. Do we have that slide? Here's the names of God. First, there's El Shaddai. In fact, this is the main one we're gonna focus on today. El Shaddai means God Almighty. God Almighty or all-sufficient God. Here's the idea. God has everything and is everything that's needed to take care of the needs in our life. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. That's the other name. And then the last one is he's Jehovah Shalom. 
He's the Lord, our peace. And that word peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's something far greater. And we'll unpack that in just a moment. But I want to give you these words because El Shaddai describes the strength of God, the ability of God, but more importantly, the fact that God himself provides for his kids, that God himself is all sufficient. And that's not just meeting material needs. In fact, it's something far greater, that God is able to take care of everything that concerns you and I. Where we hurt, he's the healer. Where we're struggling, he's the comforter. Where we're broken, he comes along and mends together. He restores what's lost. He forgives what's, what's failed. So you survey God who is more than enough in every single area. And I believe this story illustrates something, that Jesus was letting them know, if I'm enough with the bread and the fish, I'm enough in the boat. If I'm enough in one moment, I'm enough in the next moment. If I'm enough in this season, I'll be enough in your next season. And I think sometimes we have mindsets that are shaped. In fact, if you look at the story of Jesus throughout the Gospels, we see that people would often go from moment to moment without understanding the person that they were walking with. This even happened in the Old Testament when the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea. We've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. And he, he brought them out of Egypt and did the greatest miracle Israel had ever experienced. And the very first crisis they came to was they were out of water and they panicked as if God wasn't enough. God says, okay, I can make water come from a rock. God does that, they get water. They didn't have to go to hy and, and the very next thing that happens is they're hungry. And they cry out and they panic and they freak out and they worry and they don't know what's gonna happen. God says, no, I got this too. I can make manna come down from heaven. In other words, whatever the need is, God's letting them know I'm enough. See, Israel had lived in Egypt in a polytheistic culture where the Egyptians to get the sun or to, to receive the benefit of the sun, they worship the sun. To get the benefit of the rain on their crops, they would worship the rain. And they, would, they had deities and idols and images attached to all these different things. And, and it was exhausting because they had to keep all those false gods happy. And God comes to Israel and says, no, you don't understand, I'm the living God. I'm the source. You just come to me. And I've got everything you need. Jesus walks on water. And yet, even though he gets in the boat and they marvel, and they should, we should always marvel at who Jesus is. He's amazing. Never get used to Jesus. I think we lose our worship when we lower our view of God. When we get used to the things of God. That's what we looked at week one. But here's, here's what happens. It, they did not understand about the loaves. Their mindset was not changed by their miracle. And this is human nature. I've seen it in my own life. I forget what he's done. That's why it's good to write things down. Go back and remember the testimony of Jesus in your life. Because I forget. I've seen amazing miracles. I've seen, I've seen, it's like the Bible coming alive in my life. And yet, in all of that, I forget. We forget who he is. And when we forget who he is, 
We just look at what he's done, but we forget who he is, the nature of God. Listen, the manna is great. The water from a rock is great. The multiplying of the loaves and fish is great. Even the stilling of the waves and the wind is great. All of those separately are miracles and they're amazing, but what they all point to is a person who is still the source in every season. And he's more than enough. When we have a mindset shaped by that, in fact, it says their hearts were still hardened. They didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. I often don't get it. And God wants to transform our minds to see things from his perspective. What would life be like if you knew without a doubt, confidently, that he is the source for everything you need? And the mindset I want us to look at today is, is don't misunderstand what I mean by this, but understand the, 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 the heart behind it. We are called not to have a scarcity mindset in our lives, but an abundance mindset that comes from the nature of who he is. Do you know that he has more than enough forgiveness than one failure? Like you ever make a deal with God? Like God, I'll never do this thing again. If you just forgive me this one time, I will never do this again. How's that working out for you? <laughs> there is more than enough. He has more than enough comfort. He has more than enough peace. He has more than enough to provide, to make a way, to cover, to lead, to restore, to redeem. When you live with a scarcity mindset, fear is how you see the future. He won't be there tomorrow. We look at God through the lens of our abandonment from people. People left us, so God's gonna leave us. People let us down, so God's gonna let us down. And we begin to frame our future, begin to view our future, not based on the faithfulness of God, but based on our, the, the unfaithfulness of our experience. We almost expect disappointment. We have a low level of trust. And here's the problem with all of this, I believe, and what I want to target today is that a scarcity mindset keeps us inwardly focused, keeps us on survival mode. You were never called to just be a survivor, church. Here's what an abundance mindset does. It causes us to recognize that God's with you, as we talked about last week. And he sees the brokenness, he sees the hurt, he sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He vindicates you when you've been wronged. He stands in your defense. All of those things are true, but here's the reality. There is always enough with God. There's more where that came from. What if you lived with an abundance mindset? And you know what I believe that means at its heart is something that we see throughout from Old to New Testament. It's the issue of trust. Do we trust him? The foundation of every relationship, in fact, the way we get to know God is through trust, is through relationship, is drawing near to him. And the more we know him, the more we trust him. The more we see him show up and be faithful. And you know, there's sometimes, here's what the mistake I think we make, even as Christians, we go all in on one issue. And we, we say, well, God, if you're good, you're gonna take care of this one thing. And we miss the 50 other things God's trying to do in our life. Will God, can God do that yet? Yeah, one thing, sure, absolutely. But don't miss what God can do in all of the other things in your life. Will you trust him? Do you know what all those other things that God does tell us? If he can take care of this, he can take care of that. Trust me, trust me. John 10, 10, Jesus comes along and he gives us very easy theology. 
<laughs> Very easy theology. I preached an entire seven-week series here at River City Church, maybe six weeks, six-week series on the goodness of God. I got to the end of that and had an amazing, awesome person that loves Jesus say, I still am not convinced. Not because of what I said, but they still deep down had a mindset shaped based on pain, hurt, failure, all those things. He said, I'm still struggle with this idea of God being good. Here's what Jesus said, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they, by the way, that's you, <laughs> may have life. What does Jesus wanna give you? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does Jesus come to do? He comes to give life, that you may have life, and what? Have it in abundance, to the full until it overflows. That, by the way, John 10, 10 in your Bibles is in red letters. <laughs> if you don't get anything else that I'm saying today, get this. There is a bad devil and a good God. It takes a whole lot of seminary to mess that up. Oh, I won't go there. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Mark 8, two chapters later, the disciples had forgotten to take bread with them. They didn't have more than one loaf with them on the boat. Jesus comes up to them and he starts a conversation. He says, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they go, it's because we don't have bread. <laughs> Jesus being aware of it said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand what's he dealing with? He's confronting mindsets. The same mindset that didn't get fixed in Mark 6, he's still do, dealing with in Mark 8. He says, having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves. He's like, since you're talking about bread, let's talk about bread. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did you take up? They said 12. When I broke, because there was another miracle just like it, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets did you take up? They said seven. And he goes, he goes, guys, don't you get it? He says it differently. <laughs> They're concerned about bread. What's Jesus thinking about? He actually says, beware of the leaven. Leaven being like yeast that transforms and infects and affects everything it touches. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? They're the religious elite. He says, they have a mindset you gotta be careful of because it can easily creep into your life. The hardest person I've ever had to reach was a religiously minded person. You get somebody to spiritualize their dysfunction, they will fight you to the death to hold on to it. It's true. He also says, beware of the leaven of, of Herod, Herod being the political leader who, who was calling himself, considering himself to be the Messiah for the Israelites. And so he was pointing people to him. It's a picture of the political spirit, the religious mindset and the political mindset. Jesus says, hey, listen, beware of both of those. You gotta be careful of both of those because of what they can do to you, because of what they can, and, and then they, they're like, it's because of bread. He says, listen, it's not about the bread. Why? Because I'm still the same one that multiplied the loaves. 
In other words, if you have the provider, if you have El Shaddai, if you've got the peace giver, if you've got the one who rescues, redeems, forgives, restores, every need you have, every problem you face, every battle you're in, every circumstance you come across, you come equipped with the person that has it all taken care of. We don't have bread. Is that a problem, guys? Because I just took some loaves and I took a little boy's lunchable and fed 5,000. Like, that's not the issue. What's the issue for them? It's their mindset. I think there's a third option beyond the religious mindset and the political mindset that steals, kills, and destroys, by the way. And it often can look good, but it isn't always God. If it keeps people from life, there's a kingdom mindset. There's a kingdom mindset. If scarcity creates fear, abundance creates faith. And I want us, I believe we should be absolutely convinced of the goodness of God in our life. Psalm 86, verse five. For you, O Lord, are good, ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. How much mercy does he have? It's not a trick question. He's abundant in mercy. He's good, ready to forgive. You just come with your mess. You come with your shame. You come with your failure. And you call on the name of Jesus because he forgives, redeems, restores, and gives us a future and a hope. I've got four points for you today. I'm gonna actually give them to you first. And then we're gonna go through them as much as we can before we're done. Number one is an abundant mindset lives generously. And we'll have these on the screen. I'm just gonna read them to you first and then we'll have them as I go through them. The first one is that an abundant mindset lives generously. An abundant mindset, number two, is discards discontent. That's hard to say. Discards discontent and chooses faithfulness. The third thing a person with an abundant mindset does is they return gratitude to the source. And the last thing is they walk, number four, is we walk in wholeness. So let's, let's go through those quickly. The first one is that person with abundance mindset lives generously. Um, here, here's the thing. If we're inwardly focused, we're only looking at our own needs. And here's what I found. People who are inwardly focused become very hard to keep happy. I can look in myself and get sad real quick. Anybody, anybody like look inside your own life and try to find perfection and you're disappointed? <laughs> But, but here's what we find when we have God who fills our tank, fills our cup where we're empty. And God begins with first generosity towards us in Christ, that God so loved the world that he what? Gave. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And he first loved us and he gave. And God was so generous towards us, but here's what he wants to do. He wants to save us from our sin and then cause us to be outwardly focused because there's a world that is still like sheep without a shepherd. How many of us stay up at night thinking about our needs? Probably a lot of us. But what would happen if we would be absolutely convinced of the goodness of God and recognize that tomorrow God is still there? And God is still able. And, and here's what I know. When I trust him, and he has more than enough. Do you know God created more than enough air than your next breath? 
more than enough water than we would ever need on planet Earth. God, God created more. I know, I know fear says there's not enough in everything, but I can, I'm here to tell you there's more than enough. <laughs> and, 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 and because the source is not in us, it's in him. And when we live outwardly focused, here's what happens. Instead of staying up at night thinking about our need, we wake up in the morning saying, God, who can I bless today? You know what would happen if River City Church began to wake up every morning and said, hey, God, who can I bless today? Just, just look for one. Don't try to change everything yet. Don't try to ch- even rescue everyone yet. Just start with one. Because what if you could make a difference in one person's life today and then another tomorrow? God, who can I bless today? Who can I encourage today? Who can I make a difference in their life today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I bless today? I wanna challenge us as a church to be generous with our time, generous with our talent and our treasure, that we would bless other people, not be cynical, but bless others. The world of the generous, the Bible says, gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You know why? Because you start losing friends when it's all about you but you start blessing others. And you know what, sometimes, can I just speak to everyone that feels like your main responsibility is to provide? And that's good, to work hard, but remember that God's your source. God gives us resource, but God's our source. And you know what, maybe, just maybe, what your family needs isn't just your money, maybe what your family needs is your time. There's one thing, there's always more money, but there's not more time. We'd be generous towards others. An abundant mindset doesn't think about what it doesn't have only, but thinks about what God can do, what God, and, and, and here's what, let me go back to the story of the manna real quick. Uh, God, God says, I'm gonna provide manna, and here's how I'm gonna do it. For six days, I'm gonna pour manna from heaven, and you're gonna go out and collect it every day. And he says, on the day before the Sabbath, you're gonna get double. You're gonna have what you need for every day, and on the day before the Sabbath, the Sabbath being the day of rest, he says, you're gonna have double and you're gonna collect double. And on the Sabbath day, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to rest. Do you know there's one commandment Christians have no problem breaking? It's one of the big 10. Rest. Well, I gotta hustle. I gotta make it happen. I gotta, I gotta strive. I gotta fight for it. I gotta build. I've gotta do this. Well, do you know what that is? That's drive. But you know, God didn't call you to be driven. He called you to be led. One depends on you. One is an invitation from heaven. One requires you to sustain it. One requires God to build it and God to sustain it. God to do what only he can do. This was so important to God that when Israel refused to let, God actually said, the land needs a Sabbath. And because Israel did not let their land rest, they would go captive to Babylon and God said, I gotta give the land 70 years. One for every Sabbath that was broken. Some of us just need to take a nap. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we will be way more friendly to our own family if we just took a nap. Okay, it's biblical. <laughs> I'm gonna go through these next three quickly. Number two is to discard discontent and choose faithfulness. You know what an abundant mindset does? Discontent robs us of enjoying today and making use of what God's already given us. And, and this goes along with that idea. Of, here's, here's, here's discontent. Discontent says, 
I'm happy in the honeymoon phase. But the moment things get hard or difficult or no longer about me, I jump ship. Discontent will drive you if you let it. And it's not just about relationships, although it can be. Sometimes it's about jobs we're in. It's about environments we're in. It's even churches we're in. It's all these things that we can, we can easily be driven by discontent. Here's what Paul said. I can rejoice in every season. Philippians chapter four. He says, I know to be content I know how to, how, to, how to rejoice in plenty, and I know how to be okay when there's not plenty. <laughs> in fact, here's what he says, I can do all things through Christ. We know that verse, we just don't know what came before it. It's like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ when it's easy. No, no, and he says, I'm the same. I'm content when things are good. I'm content when things aren't good because I know who my God is. Okay. Do you know what? that enables you to do, it enables you to be faithful with what you've been given. When I describe God being more than enough, it doesn't always mean that he always makes it obvious or easy. Sometimes constraints, some, some constraints are from the enemy, some constraints are from God because we don't recognize what we already have and we're looking for something new. Oh, I... I Nick, I should just preach that. That's, that's. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, it says. I may be looking outside of what God's given me, and God says, I've already given you everything you need. So if we make, listen, if I'm not faithful with God, what God's given me today, why would he give me more? Some of us think, well, God, if you just bless me, if I just won the lottery, God, then I'll be generous. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's why I just heard this week, like somebody won like $2 billion in the lottery. They just, they're broke now. Broke. <laughs> because here's what happens. God calls us to be faithful with our relationships, with our resources, with our time, faithful with what he's given us. And in that, when we steward that well, God can entrust us. Because yes, it's about trusting God, but it's also God loves you enough to not give you something that'll destroy you. The last two, Jason, if you want to come up, let me know, stop preaching. I want to give you this though quickly. See, I want to be faithful. I look at people, that's why I've surrounded myself in my life over the years with people who are running their race and have been faithful. I've looked for mentors that have been faithful to their spouse, faithful to love the church, still burning at the end of the race as much if not more than they were at the beginning of the race. That's what I want. I don't, want to, I don't want to get cynical as I get older. I want to love more. And, and that requires that we have a different mindset. The third thing, and I think this is key to that, is we return gratitude to the source. Quick story, in Luke 17, Jesus comes and he heals 10 lepers. 10 lepers. He removes their leprosy, heals them of the leprosy. The leprosy is a debilitating condition because not only did it isolate you socially and religiously from the culture and the context that they were in, but it also would cause physical deterioration and decay on their physical bodies. 
So many of them would lose limbs, lose body parts, all of that as a result of, as a result of leprosy. And so Jesus heals these 10 and he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. That was the prescribed method of when you were healed of leprosy in the old covenant, you would go to the priest and they would declare you clean. And as these 10 are on their way to the high priest, one of them recognizes he's healed. Leprosy's gone. The thing he's lived with probably all his life is gone. And he goes back to Jesus. And when he comes back, he thanks him for healing him. He falls down at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship. And he responds to Jesus with gratitude. And Jesus says, here's what Jesus noticed. I see you here, but weren't there 10 that were healed? Where's the other ones? Where's the other lepers? Weren't there 10 cleansed? You know what that tells me? 90% of us often will not go back to the source to thank him. Listen, I'm in that category many times. One came back, and here's what Jesus says to him, and I used to not understand this part either, because Jesus said, your faith has made you well or whole, some translations say. I thought he was already healed. Yeah, but he wasn't whole yet. The leprosy was gone, but gratitude does something. It brings wholeness. It restores. Jesus healed his whole body not just removing the leprosy, but restoring what leprosy had taken. Do you know what begins to happen when we live our lives with gratitude? I know that Thanksgiving is gonna be a time to get together with some people you haven't seen in a year. Some of them are gonna wanna argue with you. I'm gonna tell you, let me, let me just ask real quick. This is the most controversial thing that's gonna happen this Thursday. How many of you, like this is, this is the most divisive issue I think in the country. How many of you are turkey people. Come on, raise your hand. You're turkey people. Okay, good. How many of you are ham people? We'll pray for you. <laughs> How many don't care? You're just showing up and whatever's there, you're gonna eat it. Yeah, that's, that's actually me. Do you know what Thanksgiving is? I, I won't read it for time. Abraham Lincoln's declaration to make that a day of national thanksgiving. And he actually gave two focuses. He said, let it be a day of, of penitence or repentance to God for their national perverseness. In other words, it's a day to recognize we need Jesus, we need God. But he said, let it also be a day of gratitude, of thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. That's what thanksgiving is. This is not just about the food, we know that. But, but here's what I wanna say to not just do. Let's not just be grateful when it's Thanksgiving. Let's be grateful to God every single day for what he's done, what he continues to do, what he continues to bring into our life. The last thing, number four, is an abundant mindset walks in wholeness. Walks in wholeness. He's Jehovah Shalom. Shalom is the word for peace in the Old Testament but it means more than the absence of conflict is actually a word that means literally this, wholeness, completeness in every part. So when it says that he's our peace, it's not just that he gives you inner peace, it's that he causes you to be completely whole inside and out. That's what wholeness looks like. The same Jesus that calmed the wind and the waves is the same one that would 
take care of and feed those that were hungry. When you live your life with scarcity in mind, you're always gonna make decisions out of fear. My wife and I, our favorite place to eat is In-N-Out Burger. Cheeseburger place on the West Coast. I love it. I'm just gonna be unashamed about it. And my favorite thing about In-N-Out is they give you the best fries, fresh made, amazing fries. And they give you this old trough, but that trough is not enough. I need a box. And so, so early on in our marriage, we would take each of our, our, our little baskets of fries and we dump them together because it's biblical, the two become one. <laughs> but I started to create problems because I eat, I eat without talking and my wife is having a conversation with me and I'm devouring the box. So we finally had to re-separate out our, we had to divide the fries because she started to feel pressure to keep up. Some of us are trying to keep up and we're, we're making decisions that are not decisions from God. Out of pressure, out of fear, out of thinking there's not enough, there won't be enough. We're, we're afraid to get hurt again. And so we're not walking in wholeness. We reject others before they have a chance to push us away. But I wanna remind you today that peace is your inheritance. Wholeness is your inheritance. Freedom is your inheritance. When you live with this mindset, here's what happens. You're not afraid of being hurt because you know you have a comforter. You can take faith risks because you have a God that catches you. You can live passionately, joyfully, and fearlessly knowing that God's grace and help and strength is there wherever and whenever we hurt. I wanna ask you, are you living your life with that in mind? Are you taking that step that God's called you to take? Or are you hesitant because of fear? God, what if you don't? Well, let me just ask you, what if he does? What if he does show up? What if he does heal? What if he does rescue? What if he does restore? What if he does bring that prodigal home? What if he does change everything? You're sitting in a miracle right now with River City Church. There were a lot of times I had lots of thoughts early on. We moved here in April of 2020. That was a weird month. And you know what I had to do constantly? I had to go back to what he said. Go back to what the word of God says. Go back to the promise. Go back to prayer. Go back to the person of God that was faithful. And he'll be faithful in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Isaiah 26.3 says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.